The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A uh, very warm welcome to Squawk Box with Jeff Cutmore on the right and me, Steve Sedgwick, on the left. Uh, these are your headlines. Shares in Intel plunging in after-hours trading after the chipmaker issues disappointing earnings guidance for the third quarter and key, it delays the launch of the next-generation product. Big Tech also leads the sell-off on Wall Street in session. Uh, With the S&P snapping a four-day winning streak, Apple is among the biggest losers as the iPhone maker faces a probe into potential breaches of consumer protection laws. The U.S. Senate delays the release of its virus relief bill until next week amid continued differences with the White House over unemployment insurance and direct cash payments. And Chinese assets retreat after Beijing orders the U.S. to shut down its consulate in Chengdu, while Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says the world has created a Frankenstein in his latest criticism of China. We opened our arms to Chinese citizens only to see the Chinese Communist Party exploit our free and open society. China sent propagandists into our press conferences, our research centers, our high schools, our colleges, and even into our PTA meetings. Right, lots to get through yet again. Good morning to you all, by the way. Glad you've all made it to Friday. Right, shares in Intel plunged as much as 10% in after hours after the chipmaker delayed the launch of its next generation microchips by six months, saying that it may be forced to outsource more manufacturing to contractors to make up for the holdup. The tech giant posted better than expected second quarter earnings, with revenue jumping 20% from the year before to $19.3 billion. However, Intel issued disappointing guidance for the third quarter. Now, rival AMD has seen its shares rally in extended trading. Our U.S. colleagues will be speaking to Intel CEO Bob Swan, of course, uh, 1700 CET, Jeffrey. Uh, Let's pick up on uh, Twitter. Twitter shares actually rose. Uh, The uh, company defying the Wall Street sell-off. This after the social media platform reported uh, its highest ever growth of daily users, so-called monetizable users, who view the ads rose 34% year on year to 186 million. The company attributing the spike mostly to the pandemic, which has forced people to stay at home, of course. But the COVID crisis also weighed on ad spending, causing Twitter's revenue to fall 23% in the second quarter, which meant, which meant that they actually missed estimates. Now, Twitter's CFO, Ned Siegel, told CNBC the company is trying to find alternative ways to make money to reduce its reliance on ad sales. We are going to be testing and learning around lots of new non-ads related revenue opportunities. Today, we have our data and enterprise solutions business, uh, but we know that there are other opportunities for us as well. Subscriptions, commerce, and other things will be areas that we'll explore. We have to build the teams. We've got to test and learn. And this isn't something where you should expect revenue in 2020, but they are big opportunities for us over time. 
Several U.S. states have opened investigations into Apple over a potential violation of consumer protection law. This according to a document seen by a tech watchdog group and shared with CNBC. Officials in Texas say the probe was started for enforcement purposes, adding that it anticipates litigation. Shares in Apple fell on the news. An antitrust hearing scheduled for Monday that was set to feature the CEOs of Amazon, Apple, Facebook and Google will likely be postponed, according to CNBC sources. The event would have clashed with the memorial service for the late representative John Lewis. The House Judiciary Committee has yet to confirm the move, whilst a new date for the hearing has yet to be agreed. The U.S.'s $1, oh, sorry, $1 trillion stimulus package will not arrive today as Republicans remain divided on the bill's contents and have failed to reach consensus with the White House. The delay means Congress will miss the deadline to extend unemployment benefits as job losses continue to increase. Speaking to CNBC, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin confirmed the payroll tax holiday President Trump pushed uh, that President Trump pushed for will not be in the base bill. But Mnuchin stressed the solution was on the horizon as unemployment aid is set to expire. We want to make sure that the people that are out there that can't find jobs uh, do get a reasonable wage replacement. So it will be based on approximately 70% wage replacement. And we're also going to have a lot of tax credits to incentivize companies to hire people. Now, the uh, deferral drew anger from the Democrats, uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, largely leading the charge. Of course, the Democrats passed their own uh, $3 trillion recovery or put in their own $3 trillion uh, recovery proposal two months ago. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi arguing Republicans are failing to rise to the occasion amid the crisis. We offered this legislation. We thought they would counter with something that was at least reconcilable. But this doesn't reconcile with the needs of the American people. It is another example of their dereliction and duty for not facing the reality of what this virus is doing to our, the, the lives, the livelihood, and actually the life of our democracy. Okay, so the big data that we were teeing up for the week uh, happened yesterday, and it wasn't uh, pretty, actually. The U.S. jobless claims rose for the first time since the end of March last week, as uh, more than 1.4 million Americans applied for unemployment benefits. Uh, virus hotspots, Florida, California, and Georgia, all saw the largest rise as well, continuing claims. In fact, the total number of people in the United States on some form of pandemic support is now up to around about 20% of the workforce. We do need to have a chat about this, guys, because I think there's something very strange going on in your psyche with these markets as well. This is the overnight walls from last night, okay? This is the overnight walls. The Dow was down 1.3%. The S&P 500 is down 1.2%. There's a great chart coming up at the top of the next hour from Peter Tugard on exactly the kind of point I'm trying to make on this as well, about it being an index of 500 stocks as well. The Nasdaq was down 2.3%. Are you getting this? So the data gets worse, and then it's the NASDAQ that sells off rather than all the... In fact, let's have a sit down about it. I need to sit down and talk to you about this. Let's get the tech stocks together. Did you sanitize? You did? Okay, right, good. Okay. I'm trying to explain something to you, and I've been trying to explain it to you for quite a while. So I thought we'd sit down heart to heart and we'd just talk about this. Why? Why are you... 
selling this stuff off on bad economic data, on bad news about coronavirus, but buying it on good news about coronavirus. This lot, yeah, I think I've tried to explain to you, they're the mega trend, yeah? You lot believe they're the mega trend. You lot believe these are the companies which will grow regardless. Undo my button, I'll just relax a little bit. Where's my tea? No, okay. The point is, you're selling this stuff aggressively when you get the bad data on coronavirus and when you get the bad news on employment data, but you're buying it aggressively, really aggressively, when we get the good news. You told me, you lot, because I'm believing you, that these are the mega trend stocks here. Yeah? You're buying them because of their growth, even if Azure's only growing at 47%, huge numbers. Apple, same kind of story. Now, I know there's individual nuances on this as well at the moment, but the fact of the matter is, I think you've, you've made this the highest beta sector on coronavirus, and that ain't right. That's not how it's supposed to be. Surely the highest beta sectors should be the cyclical, should be the energy stock, should be travel. I, I, I did sanitize as well, so you can have that one back. Thank you, Hava. So look, I just think there's something very strange going on. Think about what you're doing, because there are 495 other stocks uh, in the S&P 500. There are other stocks, it's gone, that in the NASDAQ as well, that you can look at and think, okay, are these cyclical, are they not? And I'm worried that you're only looking at five or six stocks, and I'm worried that CNBC is only concentrating on those five or six stocks, and so hence, we need to widen the remit, don't we, everybody? By the way, did you see what the Russell 2K did yesterday, which is the most cyclical of the big indices? Yeah, it was flat. In fact, actually, it was uh, up. 0.04%. Now, if they were all worried about that or they were highly invested, surely that would be the biggest declining sector. Anyway, let's have a look at the Asian markets, all right? We had a little sit down, we had a little heart to heart, we can carry on now. Uh, where's the Nikkei? The Nikkei's not there because they've got the best hot thing. Do you know what? I don't know if the Chinese or the Japanese have the best named holidays, but it's certainly not the Europeans. Today is sports day. Oh, just get outside, do some physical stuff. If you're, yesterday was your marine appreciation day, your ocean day. Well, this one in Japan is to commemorate the 1964 Olympics, one of the classics Olympics as well. So it's sports day. So they're having another well-earned rest as well, perhaps going out, doing a bit of limbering, a bit of yoga or something anyway, but fantastic. And of course, we're all wait. It was moved, by the way. It's normally the second Monday uh, of July, but it was moved because of the Olympics. Yeah. Anyway, Hang Seng's down 2.2%. Shanghai Composite down 2.2%. ASX 200 also down. So we have negativity across the board. There is a flight to some form of safety. Should we have a look at the treasuries? Again, very interesting. Uh, and it was a good comment. I, again, I forget where I, I read everywhere. 0.579 of 1%. But what's your real inflation out there, ladies and gentlemen? Because I know my food basket's gone up. I don't care what the inflation CPI measure is telling me. I'm paying more for my food because of the extra delivery costs or the extra costs of the COVID-19 security measures. So whilst there's apparently no inflation, do you really get anything back on 0.579? I don't know. I don't think so. Do you want to look at the... Uh, the dollar. Actually, the dollar index is one that I'm actually very keen to put in here. I'll have a look because the dollar index is seeing a bit of a trend. You know, we talk about the euro. Look at that. 116, the pound even on the coattails of that negative dollar story. I thought the Brexit news yesterday was pretty much as expected. Long way to go. Maybe get there if we see a little bit of movement as well on this one as well. But the dollar index is trading at its lowest level. Here we go since uh, 2011, 94.59. That is the lowest level we've seen. A big part, 94.59, lowest level we've seen uh, since 2018 as well. So the big sell-off going on that. A uh, lot of people very getting interested about the euro, rightly or wrongly. Anyway, should we have a look at the other big safe haven that we're seeing out there? Gold, you cannot get enough of this at the moment. 1885.77 is where it's currently trading. Jeffrey, uh, I've, I've already had a little message to chat with you today. I think you and I are on a very, very... I'm looking at your bookshelf, actually. There's some great books there, isn't there? 
David Owen. All oh, right, OK, time to declare. Um, no, sorry. Oh, and D-Day, I've got that one. In fact, I might have stolen it from you. No, you've got it as well. Uh, no, but more seriously, <laughs> I've got so many of his books at home. More seriously, this narrow ownership of the market via a certain school of investor, it's beginning to worry me, my friend. Um, I very much enjoyed the uh, the chair at the wall. It, it does feel like uh, sitting in the psychiatrist's chair with you this morning a little bit. Um, let, let, well, let's just pick up on that. I mean, the, the, the problem is here that even as it felt like there was a bit of a shift in risk aversion yesterday as we got that claims number, which, of course, is worrying because it starts to break down that impression that we are going to have a solid V-shaped recovery that the markets have been clinging on to. But there are these other drivers, of course. We know that we're in stimulus negotiations at the moment. We listened to Mr Mnuchin then, and we also know that bad news, as represented by the market, is often a catalyst that forces the hand of the federal uh, authorities when it comes to putting further money into the economy. So I think uh, there is an element of uh, maybe bad news could be good news. We'll have to watch this one. But the other key driver, of course, is what you were just looking at, which is that treasury wall. And the problem is that in terms of real yields, not talking about the nominal yields that you were looking at there, but in terms of the real yields, when you price inflation into what you're actually getting back from the treasury curve, we are at all-time lows now in terms of real yields, which again is another major incentive to continue pushing money to work into equities or any other asset class that people feel they're being forced into where they might get some return on their money at the moment. And I I think that's the challenge still. And it always has been through the first half of this year here that as we've dealt with the challenges of the pandemic, the reality is that before we got to the pandemic, we were already worrying about a slowing cycle and the fact that central banks were continuing just to pump stimulus in to try and generate some kind of, uh, what, return for investors, but also way of suppressing uh, interest rates so that borrowing costs uh, for corporates remained low here. So the drivers uh, that we've uh, you know, been sitting here experiencing for, for some years now remain the drivers, I think, for investors. But I think more worrisome, uh, as you were pointing out here, if you defang the market and remove the tech stocks, a lot of the underlying action actually has been flat to sideways for some time. So the, everything is continuing to try and push you into uh, some kind of return in equities. And that has been uh, the fang story for some time here. But I mean, that Intel number does raise some questions about how the market now is starting to judge any disappointing third quarter guidance. And why aren't we getting better third quarter guidance at this point if the market desire for a, a V-shaped recovery um, is going to happen? The suggestion at the moment, maybe not. Yeah, but I I hear you. And again, it's very hard to get much between what you and I think about these markets as well, because we've been around for so long. We've seen 1999. We've seen what happened in the GFC. And and thankfully, we're not talking about the financials. So I think it's great that we're talking about technology stocks, which perhaps are less systemically important than the actual infrastructure that keeps transmission of money to the economy from the markets. But what I am worried about is our viewers' purses and wallets. I really am. And And I worry 
that the message isn't getting across. And this is why, you know, you, you talk about the psychiatry's couch as well. I really want to go into the psyche of our viewers because I really believe rather than being pushed into risk assets by the Fed, I think they're being pushed into five or six or seven or ten stocks uh, by the narrative. Uh, and you, you, you talked about the other... 495 stocks. And again, we don't want to steal all Peter's thunder because he'll say it more eloquently than us. Uh, Peter Tugood, who's going to join us from Embark at seven o'clock. But the fact of the matter is, I'm less worried about those stocks that haven't moved, that, that are down, that are showing the, the proper cyclical response to what we're seeing. What I am worried about is the purse strings of our viewers who, let's face it, if they have got any hard-earned savings at the moment, they're, they're putting it into a very narrow area. And as you and I have explained many times, we are not against technology stocks. In fact, we are in fact, very for some form of growth. And we'd love to see more of it in Europe rather than just concentrated in Asia, in the United States, in Israel, and what have you, or in elsewhere in the developing world. But what we don't want to see is our viewers chasing these things beyond any reasonable valuation. And I went on about Tesla valuation yesterday and what the actual CEO of that company thinks about their valuation. And I just fear that because many of the so-called experts in the market are desperate to say, yeah, look, we were on this trend, we were on this mega trend, we spotted this as well. They are forcing our viewers into valuations which seem absolutely extraordinary, Jeff. Yeah, no, I, I I can't disagree with you. And I don't think um, any of the professionals that we have coming onto the channel look at these markets and say, well, these feel like comfortable levels for me to put fresh money to work. The issue is still the one of what are the alternatives at this point? Uh, gold, uh, cash, uh, maybe some investment grade, but none of those things really generate the kind of returns that investors have been uh, used to or indeed uh, hoping for going forward. Look, I mean, on the positive side, the sun does come up tomorrow. Some of these technology companies have models that do well in the working from home environment, but also do well once we come through the other side of the lockdown. The issue, as you're pointing out, is are they fairly priced or in fact overvalued at this stage? And do you want to engage? I think a very interesting trend, if you just raise your eyes above the parapet and look around, there are a lot of big money investors who are not buying equities at the moment. What are they doing? They're putting their money into property or real assets aside from the precious metals because they are preparing or hunkering down for what they feel could be a very difficult few years to come. And I guess, you know, it, sometimes it just pays to follow the smart money. Excellent, excellent. Oh, what a podcast we've got today. If only they could see the podcast. What's that? A vodcast, is that? I think it's a vodcast. Anyway, anyway. Uh, coming up on the show, Signifiers CEO Eric Rondelat uh, joins Jeff and myself. But we put the spotlight, get it? Spotlight on the second quarter results of the Dutch lighting company. Yes, yeah, very good. We'll be back after a short break. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com.
Welcome back, everybody. Let's just kick off this part of the program by taking a look at the earnings coming through from Signify. This is the Dutch lighting business. The company reporting on its second quarter sales of 1.5 billion euros here. The uh, group says uh, net profit in at 81 million euro versus uh, the 50 million euro a year ago, mainly due to one-off item sales. Then, as I say, 1.5 billion euro here. The group uh, says it intends to uh, utilize up to 35 uh, uh, 350 million, sorry, to reduce gross debt in 2020. Uh, the uh, company giving us uh, an adjusted EBIT margin uh, stable at uh, 9%. Um, let's bring in uh, Eric Rondelet, who is the uh, the man that runs the business. Eric, good morning to you and thank you for joining us. Just talk to us a little bit about the um, difficulties for the second quarter and the outlook going forward. Yes, good morning, Jeff. Well, Kutu was a very unusual quarter. You know, very early on, we decided to put a number one priority on uh, protecting our human capital. So not only about the physical health uh, of our people, where we successfully implemented a lot of measures uh, to protect the health of our employees worldwide on all the sites where we operate, but we also put a lot of emphasis on psychological and mental health, making sure that the teams were keeping together that the teams were keeping a high level of motivation. You know, we also decided during that crisis not to lay off uh, because of COVID-19. And we have been able to record our highest ever uh, employee net promoter score, you know, at the end of Q2, which is the index that measures the satisfaction of our employees. I believe, Jeff, that this has helped us to adapt uh, probably uh, better uh, to show a lot of agility to report uh, strong financials in Q2 because despite the 25% decline, we've been able to maintain our profit margin at 9%, which is exactly the level of uh, the Q, uh, 2019 uh, Q2. And we've also been able to generate a free cash flow of 10.8% of sales, which is 37 million higher uh, last year. So an unusual quarter, but a quarter of uh, resilience for Signify. A lot of the companies that are reporting this quarter, Eric, are finding it challenging still to provide any guidance. Um, what is visibility like for the third and fourth quarter from where you sit? I think you see it as I see, it, Jeff. I mean, the the, the uncertainty and, and is still there. The volatility uh, is there also on a daily basis. I mean, our position is that we remain uh, cautious but optimistic. Cautious because it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen. You see that the rate of infection is going back up in many countries. We don't know if these countries are going to go back to lockdown situations. You know, for us, Q3 is very important, but also the month of September uh, is the most important one in, in, in Q3. And it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen until then. But on the other side, we also optimistic because we've shown that we were capable to adapt to whatever we had in front of us. We did that in Q1, we did that in Q2, and uh, we'll do that in Q3. Another reason to be optimistic are some of the stimuli that are uh, put in place by uh, different governments at this point in time. You know, we also believe in the Green Deal. Uh, the Green Deal is something that talks to us because as a company, we are targeting uh, investments in climate change uh, action, uh, action in um, uh, food security, 
circularity, uh, safety and security, and health and well-being. You know, we've talked lately about uh, our uh, investment uh, in UVC lamp that eradicates COVID-19. So, I mean, we are cautious but optimistic for the future. Uh, good morning to you, Eric. We'll come back to um, COVID specifically and what treatments can help in a moment. Um, I'm just looking uh, through the full statement um, and looking at your CSG comparable sales growth as well. Are you disappointed that the rest of the world figures, the ones that include you know, real potentially massive growth areas such as India and Southeast Asia, that they are the most disappointing CSG numbers at a negative 27.3 for the six months? Well, you know, in these countries, uh, uh, Stephen, we had complete lockdowns. You know, we even didn't sell much uh, for a period of five weeks, you know, in a country like India. And India and, and the countries of ASEAN are quite important uh, geographies for us. In China, where we had a serious impact in Q1, uh, we recovered in Q2, but not completely. We are far from being at the historical levels. And then if we go outside of Asia, also in Europe, you have countries like France, Spain, Italy and UK that have been uh, fairly impacting uh, because of the of the lockdown. So at the end of the day, you know, we have what we have in front of us, Stephen, and, and we try to be and uh, to do the best with what we have in front of us. And the teams need to adapt locally. We need to adapt worldwide as a company and uh, to uh, to an economy which is uh, very complicated to deal with at this point in time. Um, you mentioned what you're doing, UVC. I know you're working hard with the team over at Boston University, Eric, as well. Just tell us what progress since we last spoke, because everyone's looking at vaccines, everyone's looking at therapies. Uh, what can UVC light do potentially? Well, UVC light is a preventive uh, measure. Uh, so it is proven that our lights are eradicating COVID-19 or the virus that causes COVID-19 in a matter of seconds. But what we've done uh, since we talked, with other, we've done a few things. Uh, first of all, um, we have uh, laid down a plan to multiply by eight times our production capacity. And that will come in two steps, one step in September, another, another step uh, in December. We are launching to the market before the end of the year. 12 uh, new families uh, of products and we've been acquiring a company a, a small companies that was um, that is uh, specialized in upper air disinfection because these are products that we didn't have so by acquiring that company we've been acquiring this catalog that we are now um, developing worldwide so yeah we, we did a few things since we talked uh, Stephen. It's absolutely fascinating, some of this research. Um, I, I suggest people read it, if nothing else, what, what you and Dr. Anthony Griffiths and others are looking at as well. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.